0: Nikiwe is on the line to us from Ghana. You were on the beach. You had Joloff for lunch. I feel like a stalker. Has it been good so far? <laughs> it's
1: been Hugely exciting, uh, Bruce. I mean, the food is absolutely amazing. The people, honestly, are as warm and friendly as all your tourist guides keep telling us. It's a fantastic country, and I can't wait to sample more of the food later on tonight, this uh, this evening. Actually, just, Bruce, to make you even a bit more envious, I'm going to a place called the Sky Bar, which is on the tallest building in Accra, which apparently has amazing uh, views of uh, the city. I- I'll let you know how that pans out. Oh, no,
0: I-, I look forward to hearing it. Now, listen, on the surface, you've got these... You got Ghana. It seems to be growing okay. It is one of the great hopes of West Africa, of course. Uh, until three years ago, suddenly it asked for a, for a bailout from the IMF. Where did the Ghanaian wheels come off?
1: It came as quite a surprise, I think, to observers, Bruce, because Ghana was one of part of this larger Africa rising narrative. It had discovered oil. It was the new kid on the block, having discovered oil along its shores. It was growing at phenomenal double-digit rates, then suddenly about three years ago, we suddenly hear the Ghanaian government is approaching the IMF for what they call an extended credit facility, i.e. a bailout. Um, to the tune of about 940 Billion rand. Now that's extraordinary for a company, which a, for a country which was on the surface doing quite well. But what, what happened in Ghana Bruce, was the perfect storm hit it. So whilst the oil prices were rising and revenues were great from that newly discovered commodity, um, the prices fell, and at the same time, the government itself was not raising enough revenue from other sectors in the economy, nor was it collecting enough money from taxes either. But what it was doing at the same time was incurring huge debt, and a lot of that debt was coming from paying huge salaries in the public sector as well. So the IMS, you know, not so nice people, said, Well, we'll give you this money, but these are some of the conditions. So uh, Ghana is now in its third crunch of that bailout, seemingly doing quite well, is recovering from that, that nasty patch. A lot of the people that I spoke to say, saying the recovery is on hand. And what also happened at the same time, Bruce, whilst all of that was happening is that there was a, a, a crunch in electricity and mm-hmm. energy supply. now in South Africa we know all about that and what its impact can have on manufacturing and other sectors which are seemingly booming at the time. If you don't have electricity, there's not a lot you can do.
0: Now, are, is the outlook better now? I mean, they've got this bailout. They, they've had to comply with the really stringent regulations and the stringent requirements of the IMF in order to get the bailouts. The fact that they on the third tranche suggests that they are sticking by the agreements. Is the outlook more rosy now?
1: The outlook is certainly more rosy, and the IMF um, has released a statement that's quite pleased with Ghana's progress. Um, it has, in fact, been consolidating its fiscals, trimming down on spending in the public sector, and indeed collecting more tax revenue. So things are looking good for Ghana. And a lot of uh, that investment within the oil sector is starting to bear fruit. More sub- energy supply is coming on online. A lot of the business leaders are quite optimistic that the energy supply is now more consistent and more confident, but the taxi driver actually spoke to this afternoon on my way back from this conference is saying, but, you know, on the ground, this is absolute nonsense. Yet we have more energy supply, but it's actually a lot costlier than we had before. So for the small business, the ordinary Ghanaian, they're not still seeing the benefits. But the broader picture is looking quite rosy. And, and officials are quite optimistic that Ghana is indeed turning the corner. Listen, on the surface, Bruce, it really looks great. But what always strikes me, I think I, I, I had... Uh, and personally, as I was driving through the street, similarly to when I was in Ethiopia, for example, in Addis Ababa, you hear the rosy picture and all these great numbers and phenomenal growth, but there is this huge discord between um these construction sites and building cranes everywhere, yet right next door um, a squalor and dilapidating dilapidating buildings and and structures so I think we've got to, to have a rather balanced picture of what is actually happening on the ground. And when you look at the numbers, they don't necessarily tell you that, but when you see it with your own eyes, see there's this big disjunction <sighs> between what I think we aspire to be and what is actually happening.
0: So if I was to sort of try and find a South African equivalent, I was thinking to think of Accra, you talk about um, the, the squalor alongside huge progress. It feels a bit like Santon then.
1: Pretty much, pretty much. But I think... Um, on a different scale. I mean, we can never compare uh, apples with, with pears in this instance because in South Africa, where we have a fairly advanced infrastructure versus a dilapidating one, here, in some instances, it's actually quite a cake, yet there are certain pockets of say Ghana or Ethiopia, where education on the one hand, they do exceptionally well, far better than a country like South Africa. And I mean, I can't help thinking of these before. Now, I spoke to one of the local businesses, and i saying to him, tell us how Ghana has gotten this right, because everywhere you go, um, they're very highly skilled people. And he says the Ghanaian government spends about 30% of its budget on education. It has a two-tier um, education system when it comes to tertiary education, a private sector level, and a Public sector where people who cannot afford do go into very good universities, mm. but there's a big focus on primary education as well. So, in some instances, Um, other African countries have made huge advances where South Africa hasn't necessarily. And I I use the caveat, though, in the South African instance, that the funding models which were used in the past, I think were used largely to benefit a minority. And then 20 years later, we sort of cotton on to the fact that actually these universities have to cater for a majority and the money simply isn't there, but it has to be found.
0: Nikiwe Bikicha don't forget it's a work trip don't have too much fun tonight have fun not not too much Nikiwe Bikicha our journalist on the line to us from Ghana she is on a five nation uh, tour of the African continent she's visiting Kenya Nigeria Mozambique Côte d'Ivoire. but this week in Ghana if you want to see the pictures if you want to see the videos of Nikiwe and Christia Abers, they're posting lots of videos and other stories via our website or you can go to africaconnected.702.co.za